You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. Good evening, everyone, and thanks so much for tuning in to another week of Women to Watch. It's always great to be back, and this week is is a really exciting week for all of us here as we launch our very first two-hour program. Um, So I'm thrilled to have more time with each and every one of my guests to bring stories and inspiration that are truly shaping the future of women's leadership. Um, There's going to be a lot to talk about tonight, and we're going to have a great conversation with my next guest. In just a moment, I'll be joined by Johanna Masca. And Johanna is the CEO of the Global Situation Room, um, which is a firm that helps highly visible brands with crisis management, communications, and thought leadership. Johanna also spent eight years with President Barack Obama as his director of Press Advance. Um, And she just launched her own podcast, a brand new podcast called Pod is a Woman. So I'm really excited to have Johanna on the show this evening, um, especially with what is currently happening um, in our country around politics and, and the election. If you're new to the show, be sure to stay with us during the breaks, where you'll hear from our exclusive watch team of on-air contributors, bringing you news and inspiration from their various industries across healthcare, finance, legal matters, military affairs, technology, marketing, and the nonprofit sector. Our watch team is really the absolute fuel behind our show. Um, By the way, if you're a leader at your company and you'd like to be a part of our watch team, you can learn more about it by visiting us at womentowatch.net. That's women, the number two, watch.net, N-E-T. 
And don't forget to download the podcast and sign up for our newsletter um, at Women to Watch as well. So now I'm very honored and excited to have with me this evening, Johanna Masca. Johanna, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Sue, and congratulations on the extended format. I think uh, we need more inspirational women, so really oh. excited that you're doing this. Oh, thanks so much. Yeah, we, we are thrilled to continue to um, you know expand and try to reach more listeners. Um, I, listen, in doing my homework on you, I wanted to start off the show with this quote, because I think it says um, a little bit about you and your background um, and why I'm excited to talk to you. Um, You said, I was shaped by my Republican parents, became a Democrat, traveled the world with President Barack Obama, and wish we could get over the labels, find where we do agree, and together figure out how to get closer to the world as it should be. I love that quote. Um, And I, you know, I want to start with your upbringing because I think it's interesting that um, you grew up with a in a Republican household, but decided to become a Democrat. And I wanted to ask you what you think the differences in your political views are and were from mom and dad. Well, thank you for uh, for for that. Um, of course, you know that that is truly my sentiment. It just is so frustrating to see the division. It is a national security issue. And um, I know we're better than this as a country. So, um, you know, with with my childhood, I could not have been raised by kinder and more generous people. My parents, um, they devoted everything to their children. We talked a little bit about, I found out when I was 21 years old that my parents, when they were in Catholic school in Wichita, Kansas, they gave up a child for adoption. And I did not find out until I was 21 years old um, that that they had to give their firstborn up for adoption. Um, they went on to have get married and have my brothers and I, and they raised us with the love and devotion. Um, you know, my dad is an NRA member. He is a hunter. He is also a, um, a, a naturalist who believes like, you know, we should take care of our nature and our water and our, um, you know, environment. And so, you know, it is, um, I know that people are not just one thing, right? My parents taught me to be um, so respectful of people wherever they're coming from, but yet, um, you know, really try to find unity in our community. And um, I was so inspired by President Obama. In his speech, I remember in 2004, he spoke at the Democratic National Convention and he said, you know, we are not a nation of red states or blue states. We are the United States of America. And I wanted to work with him um, because that is what I believe. I believe that we are, you know, all just trying to find our way. And when I traveled the world with him, I saw that the world is looking for leadership. And I believe that America should be that leader, that we should stand for freedom of democracy, of of uh, freedom of speech, freedom of the press, um, for the freedoms that we have probably taken for granted. And so, you know, those those things were raised 
you know, in me. So it's funny because I actually, when I first came out as a Democrat to my dad, I remember it was because I was going to be a poll worker. And at, when you're going to be a poll worker, you have to declare whether you're Democrat or Republican. And so I, I said, you know, I'm going to be, I'm registering to vote dad or registering for a poll worker and I'm, I'm registering as a Democrat. And he said, get out of my room. <laughs> he was not happy about it. And so then I went to the family, you know, Christmas gathering where uh, it was, um, I, had, I had been a student for Al Gore and uh, George W. Bush was elected. And I remember saying, you know, you guys are going to regret this. George Bush is going to take us to war. And everyone at that table turned against me, literally every single person. And it was like, I remember afterwards, my uncle um, came to my dad. And I don't, I don't know if we can say this on the show, but he said, your, your daughter has, you know, balls, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> and my dad was like, I guess that's a compliment. Over the course of time, it's funny because now my dad tells all of his friends, well, Johanna's the most like me. <laughs> you know, she's she's the most like me of all my kids. And so I, I find that the biggest compliment is that we can find unity even when we have differences of, you know, a political candidate at times. Well, you know, that's perfect segue into my next question for you, because I was going to ask you, how did you manage conversations with your dad around, you know, politics and what areas do you agree on? Well, and I'll be honest, I wasn't always good at it. I think, you know, in my youth, when I came out as a Democrat, I was very, you know, like argumentative. I wanted to change people's opinions and, you know, yesterday. <laughs> and um, over the course of time, I've learned that patience is a virtue and that you have to really hear someone before you can know where they're coming from and then find the common ground to move forward. You know, my dad, this past weekend, um, it was really uh, sad news. He announced that he's closing V's uh, restaurant and brew pub. It's a little uh, brew pub in Keokuk, Iowa, and it's his his love. Uh, you know, his he's been an entrepreneur and a business uh, guy his entire life, and um, and this was he put all of his retirement savings in a in a brewery that he was really proud of. It's named after my uh, great aunt Vera. And he closed it um, because it's been really difficult during COVID um, to keep it open. But also uh, my mom was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so he's now um, caring for her. And so all of this just kind of hit us um, like a brick. And, um, you know, we, we both know that right now in America, it's too hard to keep a small business operational, that too many people are lacking health insurance, certainly affordable health insurance. And so, you know, when we have a conversation on the issues and how we could actually move forward, it's a lot different than having a conversation about, are you going to support Trump or are you going to support Biden, right? Like, it's about where we are as a country, how could we actually come together, and how could we make some progress so that everyone can live that American dream. And that, that's what keeps me up at night, is will my son have the opportunities that I've had? I'm so sorry to hear that. First of all, Johanna, about your mom and and um, and and your dad as well. That that is 
um, a very tough story. And a lot of families are facing today, you know, illness in their family, as well as, you know, issues with jobs, and it's, it's stressful. Um, I did want to have you talk a little bit about your mom, because I think one of the fascinating parts of your story um, is what happened to her as a young girl, where she went from there, and how, you know, she, she would tell you when you were young that she always wanted to be a mom, but she didn't raise you that way. Yeah, I love T- my tell mother me about so that. much. So first and foremost, my mom is like a hero of mine, but she was very young. My parents my parents were both young, so they had me um, at 20, 22. And, um, you know, my mom often jokes about we were raising each other because, you know, we would... Um, it really, I was the firstborn that she was raising, and then I had two younger brothers. And she devoted everything to us. She's an artist. Um, she was an art, you know, an art student in high school. That's why my dad fell in love with her. She was just this beautiful artist. And she dedicated her life to creating us as her art projects. And for that, I will always be grateful. I often talk about if women were like venture capitalists and they said, you know, I expect a return on my investment for this for this investment <laughs> I'm making in you. You know, my mom would be very, very fortunate because she raised some incredible kids and we may have different political views, but I respect my brother so much. One of my brothers is working with Caterpillar and another does HVAC and they're awesome. Um, you know, all of us are independent. And so, you know, she, she did, uh, but she had lost her firstborn because she had to give him up for adoption before she had the opportunity to raise us. And so she really devoted her entire life, um, to raising, you know, the human capital that is my brothers and I, and I think too often we take that for granted. And um, so for me, I, I couldn't be more appreciative of any decision that a woman makes to raise a kid. Listen, stay with us. We're going to go into our first break. I'm speaking with Johanna Masca, CEO of Global Situation Room, and we'll be right back after the break. Now, the women to watch. Marketing Watch. Hi, everyone. I'm Lynn Falconio, Chief Marketing Officer of Publicis Health for Women to Watch Marketing Watch. In addition to the COVID-19 pandemic, this year has highlighted structural inequities, social disparities, and brought about a much-needed racial reckoning in America. All of us have a role to play in fighting systemic racism. For those of us in advertising and marketing, it means putting our money where our mouth is. The United States is the largest ad market in the world, where marketers spend nearly $250 billion annually to deliver content that influences decision-making and shapes culture. Some of the most visible and impactful culture makers are social media influencers, supported by nearly $15 billion in media spend for many of the world's largest companies. This content is being consumed at an astonishing clip. According to Nielsen, the average U.S. adult spends more than 11 hours a day listening to, watching, reading, or generally interacting with media. We spend nearly half our lives consuming content that shapes our view of reality. As marketers tasked with making that content and distributing it in media, 
we must understand the responsibility we have to ensure those messages are diverse and inclusive. Inclusive marketing means the people represented in the marketing messages, as well as the channels they're distributed in, reflect the diversity of the world we live in. Beyond being the right thing to do, inclusive marketing drives growth. 43% of the 75 million millennials in the U.S. identify as African American, Hispanic, or Asian, which means if a brand doesn't have a multicultural strategy, it doesn't have a growth strategy either. 2020 has demonstrated we have a long way to go when it comes to inclusion. But when we recognize that diversity and and inclusion is everyone's responsibility, like everything in life, we can go farther when we go together. Until next time, I'm Lynn Falconio for Marketing Watch. If you believe that family, charity, or money is deeply important for the greater good, Fortis Wealth invites you to a highly personalized financial discovery process to help you visualize your financial legacy. It's not for everyone, but if you're willing to invest the time and thought, they can offer advice and strategies to help you accomplish your dreams. Fortis Advisors is a wholly owned subsidiary of Fortis Wealth, an investment advisor registered with the Securities and Exchange Commission. Visit Fortis-Wealth.com today because tomorrow is waiting. Now the women to watch. Finance Watch. Hi, this is Terry. And this is Maggie. And we're from Fortis Wealth. If you connect it, protect it. October is Cybersecurity Awareness Month, and this year's theme is Do Your Part, Be Cyber Smart. At Fortis, cybersecurity awareness is a regular component of the financial education we provide. The line between our online and offline lives has become indistinguishable. New internet-connected devices provide a level of convenience, but they require that we share more information online than ever. We use a variety of networks at home, public Wi-Fi, and our place of work. Some of these networks are well-protected, others not at all. Once your device connects to the internet, you and it could be vulnerable to all sorts of risks. Think of the applications and information we are accessing, such as bank accounts, social media, online shopping, health and media services, and business applications. We need to know how secure our digital lives are. The best defense is to regularly update each device with the latest security software, web browser, and operating systems. Use the option to enable automatic updates to defend against the latest risks. Here are some other tips. First, shake up your password protocol. One of the most important steps is to change your device's factory security settings from the default password. Create a unique password for each of your devices. Then keep tabs on your apps. Many connected appliances, toys, and devices are supported by a mobile application. Your device could be filled with apps running in the background or using default permissions you never realized you approved and gathering your information without your knowledge while also putting your identity and privacy at risk. Check your app permissions and learn to just say no to privilege requests that don't make sense. Only download apps from trusted vendors and sources. Then properly secure the wireless network you use. For more information on this, view the National Security Agency's Cybersecurity Information page. If you connect, you must protect. Keeping the digital world secure requires all of us to be proactive and diligent. Learn more at staysafeonline.org. This is Terry. And this is Maggie. Peace out. This is Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, Talk Radio 1210, WPHT. I'm speaking with Johanna Masca this evening, CEO of the Global Situation Room, um, Inc. And um, we talked a little bit about your background in the first segment. Now I want to talk about your years working with President Barack Obama. Um, You were there for eight years perhaps a little more, as Director of Press Advance 
tell me first, what what does that mean? And what were your day-to-day duties? <laughs> yeah, yeah, what did well, you do? <laughs> exactly. Like, how did you, what was it that you did? So yeah. um, just finishing, I know anyone who was hearing us before the break, I was talking about my mom raised me uh, to have a voice. And so I, um, I took that to college. I got involved in politics and, um, and then worked uh, for Kathleen Sebelius in Kansas before joining the Obama campaign at the very beginning of the Iowa caucuses. Again, I was so drawn to that idea that, you know, we're not just red or blue. We want a government to work for us. So I joined the campaign um, in, I guess it was the beginning of the Iowa caucuses, so 2007. And for two years, right after I was married, basically traveled around, um, started all across Iowa, drove 30,000 miles to oversee what everyone saw as history. So we as teams would work um, on all of the the different setup for the president. And my specific uh, role was on what the press would see. So the images that were captured. Um, So I would set the stage before um, the images were captured and then uh, see it afterwards. Um, It was an awesome honor and privilege on election night to be, uh, I was in charge of that whole day as um, press lead for election day. So I was with the president, uh, President Obama and Vice President Biden when they won in Chicago. Um, And it was like, oh my god right you're on this two-year journey and then the next six years of my life was really kind of like i had taken a rocket ship and was <laughs> was gone from my family because i was traveling around the world so i traveled with president obama to 42 countries and to more without i went to some of our territories like pago pago that no one's been to and you know i would negotiate with the uh, folks who we would meet um, along the way, you know, for President Obama to make sure that we got what we needed. So, for example, you know, when we needed a press a question for free press, which is a value that we care about a lot in China, you know, we were negotiating with the Chinese delegation about all of the different um, elements that would happen uh, to lead up to the question that we got for U.S. press. Um, so it was this whirlwind um, in which uh, my husband and I welcomed our first son while I was running NATO and the G8 summit, and we decided to change the G8 summit to Camp David literally the week before I gave birth to my son. <laughs> so I was like riding in golf carts in Camp David trying to figure out how to organize a summit um, with world leaders at an oh exclusively gosh. and quiet location and then um, had my son the next week and then was in Afghanistan seven weeks after I delivered him for the live address to the nation on the anniversary of Osama bin Laden's death. So it was, I mean, it was this journey. And so when my son was three and he was talking to me and he's like, mommy, I miss you. And I missed him so much. It was like, you know, I was raised in Galesburg, Illinois. I never expected to have this opportunity to work for a president and to travel around the world. And I always was so, you know, I loved that job and I loved the opportunity and I wanted to dedicate myself to working for the American people. But when you have a child who says, Mommy, I need you. Yes. Yeah. Pulling at your heartstrings. Oh my gosh. Step back. Yeah. So I 
I uh, took that opportunity in 2015 to, to move on. And I actually, I went to the LA Times to try to save the free press. I still believe in the free press. Um, but unfortunately, the bid to buy it fell through. And so I entered entrepreneurism. And so now I have this uh, company with my business partner, Brett Bruin, I worked with. He was on the National Security Council um, Global Situation Room. And we work on, you know, highly complex communications when there's, you know, major issues involved. Um, we work with companies and organizations to help them through that. Uh, so I want to stick with um, your time at the White House for a minute because you were really in the thick of things. You know, yeah. that's an incredible exp life experience to be traveling with the president of the United States. Two, two questions I have. Can you share something that's a behind the scenes um, experience you had that that us lay folks might be surprised by or, or not know? And then what was your most memorable experience of those eight years? Oh, my goodness. Um, you know, it, it is. You're, like, in the thick of things, and you just um – you're trying to get through it, right? So often it's like, you know, you're drinking from the fire hose. So, you know, like I, when I, when I was looking at what's next, it's like no one really understands that like our weekends, you know, were n non-existent. And when a king dies in Saudi, like you're getting on a plane. And, um, you know, that is a very different uh, life experience than most. So, you know, with every single event that we did, with every engagement, that will be recorded for history, you know, there was so much that went into it just in terms of, you know, um, the National Security Advisor, um, you know, working on all of the elements to make sure that President Obama, you know, was having the conversations that he needed to have. Um, the, you know, the, the teams at all of the different agencies that were involved, um, the State Department, you know, really tries to increase our engagement with whatever community we're engaging around the world. Um, and so it was, you know, it was, I got to see the world in a light that few will ever see. And I think it's with that, that, you know, Galesburg, Illinois is a place where we lost manufacturing. And a lot of people blame it on trade. And I come away from the experience that I had with President Obama, and I actually believe that it is when America starts thinking globally, when we start looking at the seven plus billion people around the world, instead of just the 350 million who live here, that we will actually be the economic and, um, you know, the leader around the world. And that's what I saw with President Obama's grace in moments um, it, big and small. And I'll use one thing like Copenhagen. Copenhagen, we were at the climate change conference, which was, you know, a conference that world leaders hadn't really gone to before. And so when we showed up there, like, let me just say, we were like the most unwelcome guests. Like, anytime the president comes, there's like, you know, a hundred of his closest friends drive, like coming into town right away. And, you know, in, in Copenhagen, um, you know, it was uh, one of the most fascinating 
experiences because normally these things are very diplomatically um, orchestrated so that you know the things that happen in front of the cameras are all planned and they are you know going along with policy and what happened there was President Obama knew that our climate that we are facing a crisis right and I'm seeing that firsthand in California because our fires um, continue uh, to expand in places that they have not been and we are breathing in smoke and so he knew that if America takes a strong position that we will actually sell American products to the billions of people around the world. And so he wanted the U.S. to take a leadership role. Well, the Chinese were trying to derail the climate change negotiations in Copenhagen. Premier Wen Jiabao literally uh, had India, Brazil, uh, South Africa um, in a meeting with him where um, where he was trying to tell them, you know, we shouldn't do this. We shouldn't agree with President Obama, right? And President Obama found out about it because we, it was in this to-the-trade to mall that was connected to the summit site. It's the weirdest, weirdest story. But, like, we're walking through, like, mannequins to get to the meeting room where the Chinese, you know, have dressed only, like, half of the... Uh, walls with uh, with curtains, and so you could see into it. And so President Obama got there, and he sat for hours talking with world leaders about the problems that we face, and you know, really um, uh, getting people to see that if we build together better, we will all be strengthened by it, that we could get closer to the world as it should be. And that legacy we saw, even though, you know, some people, including like Matt Damon, said we didn't go far enough. And I understand that. But, you know, the truth is government makes slow prog- progress. That's the history of government has made slow progress. And and where we were with um, the Paris Agreement and with getting our companies in leadership roles um, is actually setting up all Americans for the future of the economy where we can sell our products to billions of people. And that's a discussion that I think um, I saw President Obama lead with such grace. And I know that the team um, that is working with the Biden campaign is very much uh, looking at as well. Because the other thing that I saw, which was really hard to see, was I was in Bali and uh, Indonesia would host most of their summits in Bali. Um, and, you know, they'd tell us, oh, yeah, just just a minute. We'll have this summit site done like it'll be done by, you know, five weeks from now. And we go there and it's like an open construction site with no sign of a building. And it would be like, wait, uh, you're going to have a building here by the time we're back in five weeks. And they were like, yeah, wow. yeah, don't worry about it. And then you turn the corner and you'd see all the children in their flip flops who are building that building. And, you know, when you have a heart and you care about this world, um, you want to solve those problems for billions of people. So we we need to keep, we need to bring Americans together to focus on that there are more than a billion people without clean water in this world, including in the U.S. There are people, almost a billion people who lack shelter at night. And so it's that opportunity that I see as America's opportunity moving forward. It's a perfect way to end this segment. When we come back, I want to, you know, you had mentioned that, you know, things move really slow in government. And I, you know, I think that's one of the biggest problems. And we have to get to the why of that and figure out how, um, you know, how both sides uh, can come together on a lot of things. So 
We're going to go into our next break. Stay with us. I'm speaking to Johanna Masca, the CEO of Global Situation Room. Stay with us for our watch team. We'll be right back. Now, the women to watch, Military Watch. Hi, I'm Carol Eggert, Senior Vice President of Military and Veteran Affairs at Comcast NBC Universal. Now, we're just past the halfway mark celebrating this year's Hispanic Heritage Month. In the military, special observances are conducted to recognize the continuous achievements of all Americans to our American culture and to increase awareness, mutual respect, and understanding. They are designed to enhance cross-cultural and cross-gender awareness and to promote harmony among all military members and their families. The observance began in 1968 as Hispanic Heritage Week and was expanded to a month in 1988. Now our country honors the vibrancy and diversity of the Hispanic community from September 15th to October 15th. These dates have significant meaning to the Hispanic community because September 15th is the anniversary of independence for Costa Rica, El Salvador, Guatemala, Honduras, and Nicaragua. Mexico declared its independence on September 16th and Chile on September 18th. Now, historians have difficulty estimating exactly when Hispanics began to serve in the U.S. military, but some accounts date as far back as the Revolutionary War. Along with celebrating the impact this community has on our country, I'd like to share with you some stories of the Hispanic community's contributions to our nation's defense. During World War II, 18-year-old Marine Guy Gabadon, who learned to speak Japanese from his family and friends back home, used that language to persuade over 1,000 Japanese soldiers and civilians to surrender, thereby helping preserve many more lives. During the Vietnam War, Army Special Forces Sergeant Roy Benavidez led a heroic rescue of an ambushed unit, saving at least eight teammates while suffering 37 separate bullet, bayonet, and shrapnel wounds. In 1981, retired Master Sergeant Benavidez was awarded the Medal of Honor and spent his post-military life traveling the country, speaking to young people about the importance of education and service to others. In 2013, Army Specialist Hilda Ortiz Clayton became the first military photojournalist to be killed in Afghanistan. Hilda captured the moment her young life ended when she was photographing the mortar blast that then killed her and four Afghan soldiers. The photos were later released to the public, and though they are difficult to view, the images reflect the changing roles of women in the military. Today, Hispanics are the fastest growing population in the military, making up approximately 16% of all active duty service members. So like the stories I've shared with you here, Hispanic service members have a proud and dedicated history of service to our country. To learn more about our military celebration of Hispanic Heritage Month, head to defenseculture.mil. Since 1858, Mount St. Joseph Academy has been educating girls to be leaders, founders, and independent thinkers. Students are taught to be collaborative, courageous, compassionate, confident, and spiritual. In this student-centered environment, the young women are transformed by recognizing their own potential and are encouraged to use it to make a difference in the world. To learn more about Mount St. Joseph Academy, go to www.msjacad.org or call 215-233-3177. That's msjacad.org or 215-233-3177. 
Now, more of Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPHT. Welcome back to Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. To end the first hour of our new two-hour show, I'm happy to bring you an update from one of our Women to Watch contributors, Nakia Owens. Nakia is our newest member and the lead for our nonprofit watch. Here's Nakia to introduce us to one of Philadelphia's biggest and most generous supporters of the nonprofit world. Good evening, Women to Watch listeners. I'm Dr. Nakia Owens, Managing Director of Financial Empowerment at the United Way of Greater Philadelphia in Southern New Jersey. And as your nonprofit watch, I'm excited to have joining me this evening, Jeff Brown, President and CEO of Brown ShopRite and founder of the nonprofits Uplift Solutions and the PA30 Day Fund. Jeff Brown has been instrumental in addressing some of Philadelphia's most pressing challenges, from food deserts to hiring the formerly incarcerated to helping hundreds of small businesses regain their footing as a result of the COVID pandemic. So thank you, Jeff, for joining me this evening. If you could share your perspective on what you believe are significant opportunities and challenges facing the nonprofit sector and how best to approach both of those. Thank you, Nikki, and thanks for having me. Um, Well, you know, I I noticed that uh, most of our fundraising events have to be canceled because of COVID. That's a big challenge, and and the uh, recession very severe recession that's occurring. On the other hand, um, we have raised money, um, but it just took a different approach. And there's a few thoughts uh, that I'd like to share. One is with with, uh, wealthy individuals, um, you know, it's interesting. They could turn me down for one thing, but be really excited to invest even more money in something else. And for example, in the PA 30-day fund, they're, they're reading in the newspaper um, how all these small businesses, especially minority businesses, are closing. And, um, and there's one very large funder I went to who had just turned me down on something else. And um, I explained to him how, uh, you know, the, ne- the necessity of someone jumping in quickly to save these small minority businesses and and how it would affect his life and, and really the lives of everyone that live in, in metropolitan areas like Philadelphia. And, you know, he almost immediately agreed to a large contribution because he related to the issue and he could visualize and see the suffering and how it may take decades to rebuild these businesses, but it would be much easier to save them. And so I think just just like you're selling anything, selling your case uh, for the timeliness of it, the necessity of it, the urgency of it, and what life will be like if we don't take action. Um, I think really they found compelling. The second thing is uh, business model innovations. So in the nonprofit world, we're often used to uh, raising money and then spending it. And, you know, that model may not work as easily if we can't have fundraisers. And so I think business model innovations, you know, are something to think about. In our Uplift uh, uh, nonprofit, uh, we have a division that does workforce training for returning citizens, and it is very difficult difficult to raise money for that. On the other hand, there, there's a shortage of, of uh, applicants in a lot of retailers and other businesses. Very hard to get employees today. And, you know, one of the things we're flirting with, depending on the quality of our graduates, you know, would the employer be willing to pay something for, for a really good graduate? And what does that look like? Like, 
what would be expected of us and what would it be worth if we could deliver what you need because you can't get it on your own. And so that's an example of, you know, moving away from a traditional nonprofit funding model and moving to one that's more innovative. It's like a reimagining of the business model to solve a problem really in the free enterprise system and potentially uh, use that as a way of funding your operation. So um, thank you so much for um, for that contribution and for that insight on reimagining um, how nonprofits utilize their resources and approach fundraising. Um, can you talk a little bit about where the government um, sits and where, um, you know, in terms of uh, their that, that particular approach and how that inter- should integrate or does integrate with nonprofit funding? So it's a really interesting time, uh, sort of traditional funding um, that would go into a normal uh, annual budget might be under strain. But, you know, there's a lot of CARES Act dollars that are unspent at states. And so we, you, your normal request may get pared back or turned down, but you may have an opportunity if you could pivot your work um, to get CARES Act money and a very substantial amount. So, again, it's a time that uh, pivoting is a key, um, you know, and figuring out how you can sell or, or adjust your work to fit the needs of the CARES Act. A lot of people are unemployed. And a lot of people are suffering. And so the government definitely has money in the CARES Act um, to help them out. Great. Thank you so much um, for that and um, for um, all of the, all that you do um, really to um, change um, some of the challenges or address some of the challenges um, within the Philadelphia communities and particularly, particularly within the nonprofit sector. So I want to thank you so much for joining me. And until next time, I'm Dr. Owens, your Nonprofit Watch. Thanks so much, Nakia. Each week for the remainder of 2020, we'll spend time with our contributors to learn more about what they do and help you get to know them better. Two of Women to Watch. I'm Sue Rocco. This program is a paid commercial announcement from Jacob Media Partners and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program is pre-recorded. This is Women to Watch. To rise above all of the noise and fulfill every last one of your dreams. Women to Watch, sharing the real stories of the most accomplished women in the world. It is for those frightened children who want peace. It is for those voiceless children who want change. Be inspired by women from across the globe who are encouraging more women to pursue their dreams. True philanthropy comes from living from the heart of yourself and giving what you have been given. Now, here's the owner, founder, and host of Women to Watch, Sue Rocco. We are back with our second hour of Women to Watch this week, our very first two-hour show. And I have the perfect guest with me this evening. I'm speaking to Johanna Masca, the host of Pod is a Woman. By the way, we'll be talking about her own uh, brand new podcast and CEO of the Global Situation Room. Um, incorporated. My name is Sue Rocco, and um, we we had a great first hour. If you're just joining us, 
Johanna gave us some really um, wonderful behind the scenes stories about her time working with President Barack Obama um, as the director of press advance. And of course, you know, we, I, I didn't want to have this week without really talking about politics and the, the good, the bad, the ugly, um, without kind of getting into the fray. And, and I think Johanna is the perfect person to do that with. Um, Johanna, I wanted to start this second hour with just talking about the word politics alone today, and, and maybe it's always been the case, has a negative connotation. When by yeah. definition, you know, it's simply the activities associated with the governance of a country. Yeah. So, you know, to those of us outside of politics, it seems often that the desire for status and power has completely overridden the purpose, which is to create policies that serve the people. So, first of all, I wanted to ask you, you know, from an insider's perspective, would you say that is true? And do you think it's possible for humans to kind of let go of their egos in order to seek the truth um, with each individual issue and policy? You know, I hate like office politics or, you know, the dynamics that are the ugliest in politics or what really, you know, it can get so frustrating. I remember an instance early in the campaign where there was one guy who said to another guy, you know, we're going to rule the world. And I was like, no, you're not. You know, Barack Obama is in, in good on that. Right. And that's why I think it's so important to look beyond labels of Republican or Democrat and look at the people and the like the sincerity by which they navigate their own life. And here's what I'll say is, you know, I think um, I I know Joe Biden. He's an incredible incredibly warm person and he has been at this for the right reasons that is not always the case there are people who will tell you whatever you want to hear and you know they won't actually bring about the change you're looking for and that is some of the ugliness in politics and so what we've done is we've let this ugliness of politics and like the resistance of both sides really distract and um, and defeat the policy that we need for our future economy. And I think you're absolutely right, Sue, like, you know, in what you're saying of, look, it's just about our communities and getting back to our communities and how are we, you know, giving our kids that opportunity um, with the best education and, you know, with the best uh, uh, technology advancements and and everything that they're going to need for a, an economy that's changing so rapidly because of technology. And that's, you know, I think if we can get the conversation back to there, then then we can actually, you know, change what's happening in Washington. And I moved out to Los Angeles after the administration for the Los Angeles Times. And at the time I said, I want there to be a business model where we can tell the good and the bad and, and have a business model to support it, right? But we've seen this clickbait has just, um, people are clicking on the clickbait and they're not having these tough policy conversations. And so it was funny because I was talking to someone in Hollywood and again, 
I was saying, you know, the media is much the problem, right? We have celebrities talking about um, our policy instead of people who actually know something about uh, policies and compromise and, you know, how we can get things together. And they said, well, you know, it's really hard. It's hard and slow out here. And I was like, that's funny. I wish that people had any of that patience with us in Washington, D.C. And I actually, I think that, you know, in order to change Washington, we have to change ourselves. And so we have to have these, you know, tough conversations. After the election, no matter what happens, we have to have the grace to go over to whoever the victor is and say, congratulations, how do we move forward together? And that is, you know, it is a really tough spot that we're in in America because it, it, people are so set in their um, viewpoints. Now, I believe that the majority of Americans um, have seen this toxicity um, that, you know, this president just plays into. Like, I've never seen a president who talks about states and cities as if they're blue or red. That's just, it's un-American. And so, you know, I I believe that the majority of people will will go out and will say, you know, enough is enough. But then even if you get Joe Biden into office, which of course I want, we have to set up a stage in which it is okay to have the policy discussion where there's some room for compromise. And that has not been the situation that we've allowed our politicians to be involved in those deep conversations. So that's why we started Pod is a Woman. Um, Pod is a Woman is uh, three of us from very different backgrounds. My extraordinary colleagues, Darian Page, was an Iraq war vet, single mom of two uh, daughters, um, you know, raising black daughters, one of whom wants to become a police officer. So she's going through all of these things in Chicago herself and figuring out what's going on, you know, for our kids' future. Alejandra Campaverdi, who was raised by a single immigrant mom in Los Angeles and got herself to Harvard um, because she's extraordinarily brilliant and incredible, incredibly kind. And she went through breast cancer. She found out she had BRCA and then actually found out that she had breast cancer, had a double mastectomy um, and, you know, has navigated the healthcare system uh, in in both her own experience, but also her mom's experience. Uh, who had very different health insurance. And so we're trying to t take on these really tough issues. And in fact, we just did an Aspen panel um, last week with Republican friends of ours, because we actually do have Republican friends. And I think it's by bringing people together and having these debates in not the divisive way, but like how can we achieve the goal that every American has affordable health insurance, that we can start shedding some of this so that Washington can actually enact the policy that isn't just given to them by their funders who are uh, protecting their own interests. But, like, let's get some pressure for America's interests. You know, Johanna, one of the problems I see over and over and over again is that when, you know, if you're, if you're a Democrat speaking to a Republican, it's not, um, help me understand why you think we should go in this direction with this policy. It's, um, you're evil, no, you're evil. And yeah. that immediately shuts down a conversation, right? Um, I think people are out to more so to prove their stance than they are in finding the truth. I say this all the time. Um, 
And I think at the end of the day, humans all want the same thing, prosperity, you know, good health and, and freedom. And so what do you think the secret is to having a healthy debate? How can we move beyond um, the, the, the loyalty to party and really just get people to um, not assume that because someone is a different political uh, party that they're not a good person? It's yeah. only about what kind of policies we want to set in place. When I talked in the first segment about how I've had to learn that over time, right? I, I, when you work in a White House, you see the like truly heart-wrenching decisions that any president has to make. Um, especially, you know, I was asked, like, why did President Obama d- drone children? Right. And it's like, you know, a lot of times uh, uh, America's security and all of our country's security is on the line and there's no good decision. Like there's no (laughs) like, oh, if I don't take out this person, you know, and we're attacked, that's not a good decision. So, you know, when you realize that you have so much respect for the people who are in this position. So that is specifically why we have all people who have White House experience who we are engaging, um, certainly Pot is a Woman, we've all been in the White House, and even in our Aspen panel, it was uh, from Bush and Trump administrations that we had, because you understand the stakes and you can have a very different conversation. And so it's hard until you're there to really take that step back. But I do think that as Americans, you know, if our leaders, if all of us are showing that grace, then, then we will, um, you know, leadership is, is so necessary for, uh, we saw with President Obama, you know, he set the stage for us. Like, you wanted to serve the American people. It was not about yourself. And, and by the way, you know, that guy who said we're going to rule the world, he never went into the White House. So, you know, that was, <laughs> that's a good thing, right? Like, we Isn't had- that what Madonna said? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I want to rule the world. I, yeah, I always think of that. <laughs> yeah, and it's not about, you know, ruling the world. It's about making the world a better place for our kids. And so, you know, that's what we're trying to do and show with our leadership. And I'll say, you know, for as divisive as uh, Washington is, Mitch McConnell was actually at Joe Biden's son's funeral. And I think that says a lot about the person who Joe Biden is, that he has throughout his entire life, kept friends on the other side. And I think that that is so crucial for all of us to do. Yeah. Well, what are the things I think you can do as the daughter of a Republican who you adore, right? And, and you're <laughs> yes. a Democrat, is talk about those things that you, you share in common, the views yeah. you have in common and what you think, yeah, dad, you know, I agree with you. This is the way to go on this issue. And um, maybe you should have him on your show. Oh, we should. He, my yeah. dad is like my hero. My my husband's like it's always tough to keep up with Jesus Christ because you know you think of your husband like your you think of your dad as Jesus Christ, and so my <laughs> my husband is very intimidated. But in in truth, my dad would give the shirt off his back to anyone. He is an extraordinary person, and I think that that's what we forget when we just look at people with labels. Absolutely. Listen, we're going to go into our last break. I'm speaking with Johanna Masca. Uh, Stay with us for our Watch Team segments, and we'll be right back. Now the women to watch. Legal Watch. 
This is Nicole Hittner at Ballard's Bar Law Firm for Legal Watch. The deal market is really starting to heat up again after hitting pause for the last several months due to COVID-19. In particular, private equity investors are looking for acquisitions and are finding there are some great companies to be had. Of course, the pandemic had a big impact on deal terms and financing looks somewhat different now, so it's important that buyers and sellers are working with professionals knowledgeable about these changes. To take a peek at new financing issues amid COVID-19 and the pandemic's impact on the terms of M&A transactions, along with opportunities the distressed market currently holds for buyers, join me and other professionals in this space for a panel discussion October 8th. It's virtual like many things now, so you can listen in from anywhere in the world. This 2020 ACG Private Equity Summit shouldn't be missed by anyone interested in buying or selling businesses right now. You'll have an opportunity to connect live with women and men with specific expertise in deals like I do. Just register at acg.org forward slash Minnesota, and I'll see you on October 8th, virtually, of course. This is Nicole Hittner at Ballard Spar for your legal watch, bringing you exciting new developments in the legal market. Now, the women to watch. Tech Watch. Hi, I'm Mary Manso of Pathways Consulting Group. There are approximately 2.6 billion users of social media, and the way these sites are used can have positive and negative impacts. After reading a very sad article about a young girl who was bullied on social media, I felt the need to broadcast this segment. Did you know that Generation Z doesn't know a world without smart devices and, according to some reports, spend as much as three to four hours online a day? I personally think it's more. When I asked my niece, who's 17, why she thought her generation uses social media, she said to communicate with friends and share information and photos about themselves and others. She told me her and her friends feel it's extremely important to have a social media presence. But social media can create a lot of anxiety for girls. They worry that friends or family will post an embarrassing photo of them or that their posts will be ignored. Oftentimes, they're the recipient of cyberbullying and harassed by others, which can damage their self-esteem and reputation. Girl or boy, if they're spending too much time on social media, they can become disconnected. You may observe a lack of enthusiasm for offline activities. You may find it difficult to hold a conversation with them or their grades may be slipping. You might also observe that they're isolating themselves. In addition to cyberbullying, girls and boys often share personal information, which leaves the door open to predators or online scams. In one survey, I saw 85% of girls receive a friend request from strangers, and 44% of those girls just accept the request. That's very scary. My advice is to get educated and share this education with children and teenagers. There's some awesome web forums like reachout.com or kindcampaign.org that provide insight and guidance for adults in the Gen Z. Your local schools will have information too and can help guide you. Please educate yourself on this topic. You'll be shocked at what you find. I'm Mary at pathwayscg.com. Introducing Pathways Consulting Group, a company that will align your IT needs with your business goals. Pathways is a full-service ServiceNow partner. What does that mean? It's simple. Pathways will collaborate and design, develop, and deploy solutions for your company today that will define tomorrow. Pathways will provide world-class enterprise service management solutions. Pathways Consulting Group. They listen. They care. They execute. Go to PathwaysCG.com. That's PathwaysCG.com. You're listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco on Talk Radio 1210 WPA. I'm having such a great conversation this evening with Johanna Masca for our first two-hour show, uh, Women to Watch. My name is Sue Rocco, and um, 
Gosh, we're talking about politics, and of course, um, you know, the debate was this week, and everyone has a different take on how that went. Um, I wanted to, I wanted to ask you about, you know, I, I asked you, how can we have healthy debates? And um, before we talk, I do want to give you an opportunity to talk about your company, by the way. Yeah. Um, but the last thing I think I just want to say about politics is. Um, when, I think people are struggling with the likability factor versus what kind of policies they think are going to be put in place that will affect them and their families. And so if you had to give advice over, you know, how to choose um, likability versus policy, how, do you, how does somebody sort that out? Well, um, you know, I can have such a respectful debate with someone who says, you know, like, we shouldn't lean into the globe, we should, you know, manufacture here local, you know, we should bring things, like, when there's a debate on issues, you can have that debate. When, you know, someone starts um, going low, it's really hard, right? Because you get immediately like offended. We're not talking about issues anymore. We're talking about, you know, like um, family drama or, you know, like the, the issues that we could solve. Like the truth is there's probably not enough guardrails for anyone to prevent abusing power. And we are seeing that firsthand with the president of the United States, which is so difficult for so many of us to watch. And so, you know, last night's debate for me was um, hard because it's like watching a bully just, you know, try to derail the conversation over and over and over. And, you know, I, I, I thought, um, you know, Americans are in a painful spot. Like we're still homeschooling our son. Um, you already heard my family is dealing with my dad had to close his small business and my mom is has uh, breast cancer and you know these are real problems this mm. is really personal for Americans mm -hmm. and I want us to get to a place where instead of throwing out red meat and you know things that polarize people immediately that we can discuss those real issues facing America. But, you know, the the president hasn't been challenged on a debate stage for three plus years. And so, you know, last night you saw him just decide to like come out of the gate and just, you know, yell and talk over um, Joe Biden. And, you know, it was it was really unfortunate. Um, and I think we've got to get to a place where we can have a civil discussion. So I'm hoping that when Americans are actually asking the question on the next debate, that we can actually answer them. Because I think the American people are owed that, that grace and leadership. Yeah, I agree with you. It'll be, a t it'll be totally different. Um, listen, I wanted to mention that Time Magazine named your podcast as one of the best political podcasts to listen to in 2020. And you just launched. So yeah. tell us. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. Congratulations. And, you know, tell us what, what, what is it that's different and what do you hope will come of it? Why did you decide to launch a podcast? We were so surprised and honored and it's awesome. And I'm like humbled. Um, yeah, in our second month of doing the podcast, um, we were... We were named uh, one of Time's Best Political Podcasts for people trying to keep up with the 2020 election. And we're trying to 
change the conversation because like my mom has never been one who really wants to discuss politics, but she is so, so thoroughly concerned about the future of this country for all of us. And, you know, she doesn't know who to listen to. And she tunes out because it's just so toxic. And it's like, if you're all wrong or you're all right. And so we wanted to have a different conversation. And, um, and so we were really lucky that Cadence 13, um, which, you know, has some leading podcasts uh, picked us up um, in August and we rolled it out. Um, we've just recorded our eighth episode. And, you know, it's, it's a different kind of a conversation because like I said, you have women who have all worked at the White House. We've seen this up front. We have a woman who served in Iraq, right? So um, we're trying to bring people together in a different way that I think there's not enough of in politics these days. So I can only hope um, for the future, but um, you know, certainly that was an honor and we're, we're really thrilled to interact with any of you know, our uh, folks who are listeners on any social media channels. I think you're going to, you know, continue to not only um, have good conversations, but some great guests as well, because you're all very well connected. (laughs) (laughs) So that helps. We were really excited to get Dr. Jill Biden on our first podcast. And, you know, it's funny because um, I don't think a lot of people were um, thinking of her, you know, like they they keep saying that. Um, Joe Biden hadn't done some of our other colleagues' podcasts. Well, look, I already I already knew Jill Biden's the hero. Like I I love them both, but Jill Biden's awesome. She's a teacher <laughs> who kept teaching as second lady, and so you know we did we had that different kind of conversation, and that's the the voices of so many of these women. I mean. Um, We had Bush's treasurer on uh, talking about, you know, the future that's at stake for the economy. Um, And we had, uh, you know, um, uh, the, uh, gosh, you know, Gina McCarthy uh, was the the, uh, EPA secretary, you know, really talking about climate change. So these are the these are the very important conversations that you know women need trusted sources on and the people we're coming we're bringing on they're pre-vetted and they're not going to come as peacocks they're coming because they want to have a true and honest conversation about how we can move america forward yeah without having to have fact checkers right (laughs) (laughs) i mean that's the thing is i actually i want to know what the truth is so i asked gina you know like can you tell me about the stories that are coming out on forest management and you know the responsibility um in you know these fires and she was able to and that's that's what I want. I don't want, you know, someone just telling me that everything's all wrong or all right. Yeah, well, I, I, I love that. Um, listen, let's talk about your company. So, um, again, um, for our listeners, you're the CEO of Global Situation Room. And basically, you know, you're working with some uh, big name brands and you help with crisis management, thought leadership, communications. That's a big, big job. And it's, you know, in today's climate, I would say, I would imagine you're busy, um, (laughs) which is great. So um, first of all, can you share, you know, who are some of your clients and what's your top three pieces of advice for a company handling a crisis? Yeah, well, so we work with uh, Porter Novelli. We're a strategic 
partner of Porter Novelli, which um, is a, a impact firm. They've done you know things um, uh, on you know healthcare. They've uh, they did. Um, you know, work on uh, ALS, and um, they've done, you know, work on uh, big, you know, uh, technology uh, companies that are standing up, you know, new green initiatives. Um, But, you know, the stuff that really matters to me is we do small business conferences as well to try to open up, you know, this, um, this, you know, expert network to our small businesses and help them grow along the journey. And so we've done, you know, in years past these, um, you know, entrepreneurship export exchanges, which we're uh, going to have as our situation room experiences. So people can come in and see when a crisis is affecting them, what they should do. And my, my and my colleague, Brett Bruin, Brett, you know, handled crisis and conflict in the National Security Council. Um, so he worked on a lot of, you know, the, the big issues that we're facing, um, you know, America abroad and here. And he talks about building reservoirs of goodwill. So really like talking about what you're trying to do early on. You know, for years we've had these wonderful companies that have built products, but they don't necessarily start by talking about their value structure. And our premise is actually you do need to start by talking about your value structure, the solution that you're solving and why you're doing it because when you build that goodwill look like we are in a risk-filled world with technology a 24-hour news cycle with the inability for your you know message to translate in new markets and for anything could be picked up and taken in a new way and that is a risk for so many people now to you know really try to navigate that space Um, And so what we try to do is build up that narrative for companies so that people know, you know, who they are. If you are trying to bring about a more inclusive economy by, you know, creating a technology that's going to help people, how are you doing that? Um, And so that's been, you know, a real pleasure to get to work with some extraordinary business leaders who I I agree, like they want to create jobs and they want to solve problems. And so why is it that we can't all work together on doing that? (laughs) Why just can't we all get along? Oh my gosh. I I know we can, people. I know know we we can. can. Well, yes, we can. You know know how we're going to do that, Johanna. We're going to, you know, a few more women in the room might be, might help with that. Um, it really, it really would have yeah. helped last night. I was even. I think so. <laughs> I think so. Let me ask you these last two quick questions. How soon do you think before we have a woman president? Oh gosh, I wish we had a woman president. But you know, it's we've got some extraordinary women who are very qualified, and for too long we've let there be a lightning rod on their head. And I see it, you know, when people attack Ivanka Trump instead of attacking President Trump. I see it when they go after Laura Bush instead of, you know, President Bush. And when they go after Michelle Obama instead of going after President Obama. And, you know, I think what we need to do is is talk about policies. And um, look, like, I'm a mom. I care about my kids' future. And I think as soon as we can get the debate in the media to be about that, mm-hmm. we'll have a w- woman who wins because there are plenty of women out there. <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, and we have one minute. Tell me, I wanted to talk to you about your son. And what do you, what do you hope for him in the future? Tell us I about wrote, him. 
I wrote him a note that I read on a podcast on Fox 5 at one point um, that all I want for him is to have the same opportunities that I've had to live out my dreams. And I worry about that. I worry about the climate we're in. I worry about this divisiveness. I worry about his school and whether he's getting every advantage. And I think when we start, you know, like talking about our kids and what we all want, we want the same thing. We want them to have an opportunity at the American dream. So that's well, what guess we need what? to fight yeah. for. <laughs> he, he's got a good he's got a good start with you. So that that's really the most important. Johanna, thanks so much for being with me tonight. I it was a great show. I appreciate your time. So thank you so much, Sue. Now the women to watch. Health Watch. For Health Watch, I'm Dr. Marianne Ritchie. Your heart is a pump and blood flows from the upper chambers to the lower chambers. If the upper chambers quiver, the blood pools, forms clots, which can travel to your brain, eyes, kidneys, arms, or legs. This is called atrial fibrillation, the most common abnormal rhythm of the heart. In fact, by the time people reach age 40, one in four will have atrial fibrillation or AFib. This greatly increases your risk for a serious stroke, the kind that make you unable to walk or talk, dementia, and early death. Risk increases with age, more common in men, also with hypertension, diabetes, obesity, sleep apnea, thyroid disease, binge drinking, holiday heart syndrome, watch out on New Year's Eve, alcohol is toxic to your heart. It runs in families and in extra tall people. Symptoms, palpitations, fatigue, weakness or dizziness, lightheadedness, shortness of breath. Not all patients have symptoms. This is why a yearly physical is so important. Once we make the diagnosis, four areas of treatment. The most important issue, stroke prevention. So you may need a blood thinner. Control the rate. If your heart is beating quickly, 100 times a minute for weeks, you could develop heart failure. You may need meds to slow your heart rate. The rhythm. We want normal rhythm to control symptoms, palpitations, fatigue, shortness of breath. And if medicine doesn't work, we try ablation which scars and destroys the tissue in your heart that triggers the AFib. Some studies show ablation is four times more effective than meds. Risks you can control. Obesity greatly increases risk of AFib, makes it harder to treat, brings greater risk of recurrent AFib after ablation, so weight loss has to be part of the strategy. Sleep apnea. If you snore, get a sleep study. Apnea means you stop breathing for several seconds at a time during sleep. Your oxygen levels drop. Big risk. Learn how to check your pulse. Lots of gadgets to check your pulse, like Apple Watches, Divas. Visit these websites, stopafib.org and upbeat.org, so you can sing, I got rhythm, I got mm-hmm. Hi, Sue Rocco here, host of Women to Watch. Are you a fan of the show? If so, be sure to sign up for our podcast at womentowatch.net so you never miss a show and can listen on your own time. That's women, the number two, watch.net. N-E-T. Now, Women on the Fly. I'm here with Johanna Masca for our Women on the Fly. Are you ready, Johanna? Absolutely. How do you start your day? Yoga in my garage. (laughs) And coffee. (laughs) Excellent. (laughs) If income was not necessary, what would you be doing? Oh, exactly what I am doing. You know, I want to change the world. Daily mantra. Hmm. Uh, yes, I can. <laughs> yes, I can. Yes, yeah, I can. I like that. I like that. <laughs> Respecting uh, power include or fired up, ready to go are also in there. Okay. <laughs> 
favorite book? Oh God, so many. But I did just um, uh, read uh, Unfollow um, by uh, a woman who she was one of the Phelps kids, um, and she, uh, you know, the Phelps kids they picketed funerals of military um, members, and it was oh, just gosh. incredible because it really mm-hmm. talked about the view from the other side, and then how she uh, came to to come to full circle. So that was it was an incredible book. Great. But I love books. I'm audible and uh, reader all the time. Right. <laughs> um, where are you when inspiration strikes? Probably the shower. <laughs> A place you've traveled that you want to go back to? Ooh. Um, Australia or Bali. Both are fantastic. India. Love India. Um, but also, you know, Hawaii. I love Hawaii. Nice. <laughs> How do you unwind? A glass of wine, for sure. While doing yoga? <laughs> <laughs> Long after the yoga is there done. There you go. <laughs> what is your definition of feminism? Uh, push for equality, a more equal world. Great. Three words that describe you. Passionate, loving, Fiery. (laughs) I can get a little spicy sometimes. (laughs) It's not that hard to get me worked up. (laughs) Right. That's a good thing. Best advice you've ever heard? You know, for a long time, I didn't look for mentors, right? Like, I... I found out that those who are most successful actually do look for mentors and get feedback all the time. And that has been so important in my journey as an executive is to take that coaching um, and to welcome, you know, any feedback um, and have an open mind. Great. Favorite music? Um, I... Genre, I mean, I will say. I was going to say, I, if, if you've got a, you know, Whitney Houston, I've got some Hamilton on, I've got, uh, you know, Carly Simon, there's a yeah. lot. <laughs> so female, female vocalists. Uh, there you go. Love that. And the last question, if you could wave a magic wand and change one thing, only one in the world today, what would it be? Only one thing? One. What's at the top? Get What's, rid- comes right to your mind. I get rid of this division. Okay. That's it for our women on the fly. Thanks, Johanna. Thank you, Sue. Coming up next is our Coach's Corner podcast, which is a shorter version of our weekly show and can be heard wherever you get your favorite podcast. I'm BJ Gray with this week's Coach's Corner. You've probably heard the saying before. If you can't lead yourself, then you won't be able to lead others. I really believe this is why so many leaders in corporate cultures are ineffective. They are lacking self-leadership. There are many managers that need to learn how to stay in control of their emotions so the work and their teams move forward. You build a healthy culture by developing self-mastery first. There are two key obstacles, though, that stop people from succeeding. And the first one is they are not ready for being accountable for how they're thinking and behaving. And the second one is they don't understand that blaming everyone around them leaves them powerless. Recently, I gave a presentation to a company on what it takes to win in today's business environment. And I started with this very subject, self-leadership. Many of the attendees were disappointed that they had to look at themselves as part of the solution. 
They were very, very stuck in needing justification for how they were feeling instead of taking responsibility first for their own emotions. I'm not surprised when people tell me my coaching doesn't work. I know this concept can be polarizing, especially when you believe you've been wronged. But no coach will be able to help you when you're not ready to develop self-mastery. Some of the key elements for self-control in the workplace are checking your baggage at the door when you come to work, saying goodbye to the ego when someone disagrees with you, and taking responsibility for how you take that information in. About five years ago, I could have used a leadership coach like myself. I was exhausted, stuck, and not getting any real value out of my career as a VP of operations. And at first, my dissatisfaction was more about blaming the company and the culture and my colleagues than asking myself what skills I was lacking to manage this business environment. And what I didn't realize at the time was that the skills I need the most were self-awareness and a mindset strategy to help me build an inner game. I was not able to participate in the collective whole in a mature way until I could manage myself. This is what elite athletes have to do to stay on top. And that's why the corporate athlete needs to develop the emotional intelligence muscle. You see, being a leader doesn't have to be hard. You just need to think on a whole new level. Thanks for listening to this edition of Coach's Corner. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn or at bjgray.com. Until next time, I'm BJ from Coach's Corner. That's it, everyone, for another week of Women to Watch. Thank you to Johanna Masca for joining me this evening and to our watch team and sponsors for their continued support in helping me to bring you the real story behind her title. Have a great week, everyone. Thanks for listening to Women to Watch with Sue Rocco, a Jacob Media production. If you're interested in learning more about the power of the radio hour, contact Joe Krause at 267-261-3428. announcement and does not reflect the views of WPHT or its management. Today's program has been pre-recorded. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.